June 5th, 1968. Robert Kennedy is assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan, passing Kennedy leadership on to brother Teddy, the Jim Belushi of Hyannisport. Welcome to The Revisionists. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And joining us as we shake off the rust and talk about celebrity dicks. Uh, <laughs> well, now I have to use the celebrity dick one. No, this wait. what you've done. No, I mean, we could just be talking about celebrity dicks off air. Yeah, I mean, I, I do that on my own time. Yeah, yeah sure. That's recreational, baby. Um, please welcome Daniel Dottie to the yep. show with the <laughs> least softball of introductions I could manage. Yeah. Now, Daniel, are you rocking, what do you think, a, a Keanu? A Jesse Plemons? Uh, what's, what's oh. your what's your celebrity dick doppelganger? Um, Look, uh, I would I would say I'm probably uh, I'm probably swinging somewhere around Groucho Marx territory. Mm. Ooh, that's a classic. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that uh, that vaudeville shit. I'm smoking. Hey. Yeah, coincidentally, I am a Zeppo. So that's. Groucho <laughs> <laughs> that's famously said, uh, you know. I'd uh, I'd like to have a dick, but I don't want a dick that would be my member. <laughs> I, I'm trying to... I once shot an elephant there. in my pajamas. It was my own penis. Yeah, <laughs> I have to go to the hospital. <laughs> I think we're close, guys. We just workshop it a little bit. I think we're close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got we've got the seed of an idea here. <laughs> sure, sure, great. We'll come back. We'll we'll revisit this at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. See if we've developed any new leads. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, one yeah. sec. Um. Sorry. Um. Yeah, listeners. Um. We're we're back. Uh. We've been gone for a very long time, longer yeah. than I anticipated we, in many last ways. Last time we recorded, I think. I think Biden was president last time we recorded, yes. but I'm not. He was. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. It's been a long time. I I envisioned some sort of, like, it feels like the transition between what was and what is would have been so much, so much bigger. It would have been like coming out of the, coming out of the cave in Zardoz. Um, <laughs> something. Um, but no, we're, we're glad to be back um just just so everyone knows uh the reason we were gone so long is uh my daughter kathleen was born um and things happened earlier than we anticipated um we were we were hoping to like bank a few episodes and then i take a couple weeks off uh, we'd come back and then by the time i took my actual leave we'd be sort of in a rhythm and that did and not happen. And she's already making her first guest appearance yeah. on the show. <laughs> first of, um, of many. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, in spite of uh, some complications, I can say as somebody who has uh, had the joy of meeting uh, a little cat, uh, that um, in spite of the complications, like, she's cute and 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 adorable and everything seems to be going pretty good yeah uh she's doing great uh just had just had surgery and is really really improving quickly so 
yeah, um, but very glad to be back. Very glad to be doing something that feels normal, even if it's talking about celebrity dicks. <laughs> well, so. that's, guys, I'm glad that you brought me on because I'm the most normal guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> Love talking about celebrity dicks. Love, you know, digging up skeletons of uh, 20th century icons of fashion. Uh, I just, you know, two of the most normal things a 38-year-old father could be into. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all This episode I'm all is, is, of course, going to be about that picture of uh, John Hamm's dick swinging in his shorts. <laughs> uh, the real history, the alternate history, all of that. Wait, is that a real picture? Oh, for sure it is, yeah. Do I, do I just Google John Hamm dick? I mean, I don't know, man. Like, probably. I, I don't know the instructions. <laughs> okay, there's not like, a, it's not a scavenger hunt, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, really, like... it's one of those things that, you know, when, when you're meant to see it, you'll see it. it, it it'll, it'll, your, li- your lives will intersect. And, you know, it's yeah, a little bit of the hour, um, cometh the man. Precisely. It's some serendipity stuff. You'll see it. <laughs> Where fate... Has a sense of humor, or whatever. I, I, tr- I, I strongly suspect that if you Google John Ham's dick, it will come up. Okay, good to know. <laughs> he, he loves it when people Google his dick; it comes right up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God damn it! Um, but yeah, listeners, we're picking up where we left off um, with uh, our mini series on spies. Spies, yeah. Um, last time we talked about last new episode, we talked about the Rosenbergs, uh, with Danny Ramos Sure. and it was back in fucking February. I can't remember which one won. Uh, Danny Ramos had an alternate history where I, we were discussing it. We, yeah, they became, rem- uh, see, they kind of got operation paper clipped into yeah, yeah, yeah. operatives for the U S government. Uh, and then eventually took a dark turn where they, I don't know, were into QAnon or something. It was yeah. like strange. Or they were Q. I think they might've been Q. I'm yeah. trying to, I, again, can't remember. Um, but again, four months, baby, all that other stuff. Th- things are about to get a lot more loosey-goosey around these parts. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, I guess also before we go on, and speaking of that episode, um, list, you may notice in your podcast feed, um, I posted about the GoFundMe for Danny Ramos, uh, our friend, most recent guest, um, who is, as far as I know, still in critical condition uh, following a hit and run. Um, I'm going to include... Um, not to like get into it more here uh, when we've been talking about celebrity dicks. Um, and I'm going to just include that URL in the notes for this episode. Um, so you can just go and um, send him some money for his recovery. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he didn't deserve what happened to him and he doesn't, deserve to live in a nightmare society where you need to go fund me for medical expenses yeah so. yeah for real yeah yeah 100 percent um but speaking of nightmares uh we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about kind of a human nightmare a little bit coco chanel <laughs> yes indeed and and i know what you're thinking some listeners um 
Coco Chanel. This is the uh, miniseries on uh, spies, oh, spies, not yeah, like so, uh, yeah. fashion designers. Well, what's so the deal there? Kind of, kind of a, kind of a secret up until about uh, you know uh, maybe nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Sorry. Or at least a little bit of uh, at least a little bit of an open secret. Um, because sure. as I recall, there was going to be there's going to be like a big in the early seventies. There was going to be like a big celebration of uh, of Chanel's kind of legacy, and some interesting documents happened to get declassified <laughs> that made the French government kind of feel a little, you know, take some second thoughts. <laughs> certainly, certainly, some of her sentiments on, let's say, Jewish people have been uh, pretty public for <laughs> the entire time since she's been alive. Well, so, yeah, was not was not shy. Was not shy. Yeah, about no, that. no, no, no. Very open. Uh, well, but feminist icon. Feminist icon. Uh, girl, girl, girl boss par excellence. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, yeah. She's the er girl boss. Well, there's no point in uh, in delaying. Uh, Daniel has the yeah. ministry in this particular case, and I'm yeah. going to be giving the alternate. Um, Daniel, if uh, if you're ready to give the real history, uh, we'd love to hear it. I'll be happy to. I'll, I'll jump right in. This one's been kind of a little bit of a hobby horse of mine the last couple of years since I was kind of first aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of what I'll be talking about is based on a, a terrific book called Sleeping with the Enemy, Coco Chanel's Secret War by Hal Vaughn, which was kind of the, this was really the book that kind of broke it wide open. Um, right. so, uh, that's, that's what kind of Zach meant by the last nine years or so have not been so kind, <laughs> but, um, but so here we, you know, Coco Chanel, an iconic oh, name. Before uh, we get too deep into it. Oh yeah. I just want to say, um. Recently, <laughs> this is very strange, but very true. Yeah. Uh, I was um, wondering if this was going to come up. Uh, uh, Patton Oswalt, famous comedian, uh, was talking about how he was, he posted on Twitter, like, I'm very honored to be placed next to Coco Chanel in the New York Times crossword puzzle. And <laughs> I responded with... No offense, I, I literally something like, no offense intended, but do you know that she was genuinely a Nazi spy who ratted on Jewish business owners in the French resistance? Spoiler for this episode. Um, <laughs> and, he's, and he screencapped it and uh, made fun of me very publicly. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. So well, because he, uh... he made fun of another person who also pointed out that Coco Chanel was a Nazi the next day, uh, with someone saying like, "Oh, because C-3PO was also in the crossword puzzle," and that person was like, "Oh, C-3PO is problematic too." And I'm going to be on the record right now: being a Nazi spy is not the equivalent uh, to being a a cyborg made by the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, the people I, I who made fun it. of Anne Frank are not the same as BB-8, in my <laughs> personal opinion. <laughs> if you take nothing else from the entire 130-episode run of this show, listeners, it's BB-8 does not equal anti-Semitic piece of shit. I still like Patton Oswalt, and, uh, uh, you know, but I also thought was like... You didn't need to call me out on that. She was actually a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. You could you could have left that one alone. Uh, that's not you know that's not hyperbolic hyperventilating. It's uh, very well tested as uh, as as we'll discover as we uh, kind of talk here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Coco Chanel, 
by, you know, uh, 20th century fashion icon, um, sure. broke major, you know, broke major ground. Admittedly, yes, broke major ground for, for women in the field of kind of couture and, and, and sure. really, you know, patron of the arts, you know, stuff like that. Um, she was a very well-known, very famous person, very well-connected. She was, in fact, personal friends with Winston Churchill, right. which will come up later, because she had an affair with Winston Churchill's good friend, the Duke of Winchester, in the 1920s, I believe. <laughs> 20s and 30s. Uh, I'm just, um, the Duke uh, of Winchester, a very um, not horrible person, I'm sure. well you know when it comes to you know british aristocracy uh in the 1920s and 30s they were they were really pretty chill about the whole nazi thing happening i mean you you didn't see a lot of you know active conspiring or say members of the royal family being you know happy to meet hitler stuff like that no no no, they didn't the duke of winchester would never be the kind of person who for instance had a dog that was literally named jew that uh, <laughs> no, nothing uh, like nothing like that. No, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, this is Br- this is British aristocracy we're talking about. The classiest people on the planet. Anyway, <laughs> so part of how classy they were is they're rubbing elbows with uh, Coco Chanel. Gabrielle, as she was born, but known as uh, Coco. So she had actually had like a long, full career by the time 1940 rolls around and France is invaded and swiftly defeated. By Hitler's uh, Nazi German forces, uh, which was a a very shocking turn of events for everyone uh, involved. By this point, uh, Chanel had created a kind of um, a sprawling empire, which was mostly based on the massive success of her perfume Chanel Number Five, which is very famous and I'm sure you've all heard of. Mm -hmm. Now, this was first developed in the 20s with uh, (laughs) with a uh, exiled. Russian aristocrat who went by the name Bo, um, who got to be friends with, you know, all those Russian aristocrats who got, uh, you know, booted out with the Bolshevik Revolution. Sure. Ended up wash- washing up in Paris and London. And Coco got friendly with one of them. And he was kind of a, uh, a tinker with sense. And uh, he <laughs> had... <laughs> Sorry, we. It's also just the way we tried to like breeze past that one, which yeah. is a, a phrase I very much like. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it breezy, you know. Um, but anyway, he he had to you know come up with a, a a series of senses with one to select that would have her imperture, right? She was going to sort of blend her her cultural cachet to a perfume and break into the perfume business. And so she picked yeah. the number five that he had come up with. But the thing is, she didn't really have the, uh, you know, her operation was, a, it was a, it was a couture house, right? It was about, sure. it was, you know, sewing. It was like about uh, sewing and clothing. It wasn't really set up for like, you know, uh, uh, making, making perfume. So, she, so sorry, dumb, yeah. dumb question. There wasn't one through four. Uh, there, there were well, there, a number of scents that this person. Yeah. Okay, okay. It was basically she was she was sort of had a selection to choose Got from. It. She went with number five, and then also was like, "No, don't bother changing the name. We're not going to give it a yeah. brand name. It's she's just going to be number definitely, five." Definitely, and and this is like a guy she's involved with. Like this is a pretty recurrent. She was genuinely quite poor and uh, I think orphaned or at least abandoned mm-hmm. at a fairly yeah young she age. she was raised in her, her mother died and her father sent her to a, a, a convent to be raised by nuns yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah uh, this was in, and she like she glamorized her childhood I i.e mm-hmm. she lied about it and said she grew up rich um, <laughs> um, but uh, like yeah and the, and the way she made even before she met this guy like 
she was with uh, a number of men, mostly married men, um, mm -hmm. who would give her a great deal of money uh, to start her businesses. And that's kind of yes. how she... It's kind of a complicated uh, self-made woman, technically, but also, like, through the means of adultery and... and right. And, her... Yeah. Yeah, her her big break was becoming a rich guy's side piece, which yeah. you know, uh, what are you gonna do? It's it's nineteen oh eight or what or what have you. Yeah, that 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 is the other side of that equation, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, exactly. So, um, but this is in the in the the nineteen twenties. She so she's you know, there's gonna be this perfume that's going to be like, you know, it's gonna have the Chanel brand name. It's gonna be associated with the kind of you know, youth and stylishness and flapperdom, basically. It was what they were going for, this kind of androgyn, almost sort of androgynous, liberated woman aesthetic. And uh, mm -hmm. this was going to be the perfume for that era. But in order to really take advantage of, you know, kind of capturing lightning in a bottle, so to speak, with the, uh, with the classic Chanel Number no. 5 perfume bottle, a masterpiece of Art Deco design, mm -hmm. um, she partners with uh, a couple of... Uh, Alsatian Jewish. They had been Alsatian Jewish um, uh, fellows. Alsace is a region which had, had before the uh, First World War, had been French territory conquered by the Prussian em Empire in the 1870s. And yeah, it's one of those one of those many places between France and Germany that's traded places a lot yeah. uh, in history. <laughs> but but anyway, she got hooked up with the Wertheimer brothers, Pierre and Paul Wertheimer who mm -hmm. were ready and willing to, to, you know, make the deal to actually produce the perfume, right? She had the formula, she had the, the brand name, but she, didn't, she wasn't able to actually produce it. So she signs a deal with, uh, with these guys to actually produce number five, and they create La Parfum Chanel LLC, basically. They create this company to, to make it and, and distribute it. And it's, it's an enormous hit, and she's basically off to the races, like making vast amounts of money. And really kind of loses interest in the whole like, couture and perfume thing because she has all this money just flowing into her. So she basically becomes like a, a bon vivant patron of the arts, hangs around with Igor Stravinsky, has like a little affair with him. Um, so it's her just kind of her. Yeah, like literally uh, at this point in her life, I uh, you might be getting to this, but like, yeah, she um, Coco, the name Coco, there's rumors that she has that name because she has the best cocaine parties. And yes. <laughs> it's also apparent, yeah. like apparently from this point until she dies, like she has a morphine habit where she'll just like fucking in public <laughs> jab herself with a little bit of morphine every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very much uh, the listeners at home like don't think that uh drug addled dissolution was purely a uh, 60s and 70s thing it's, you know <laughs> yeah, it's been it's on a for a while time it was right right um but it's that so was one of the most fascinating things about learning this story for me is like the mm -hmm. the recent revelations over the past 10 years have sullied her name in a big way but even before that like this is not a very kid-friendly story of <laughs> it's success. It's really not. Like, yeah, I don't know why there's really, so really many not. kids' books about how Coco Chanel is, like, a feminist icon when there's yeah. so much drugs and sex and... Right. I, yeah. I mean, I just love how Coco is a drug nickname from, like, from that era where it's, like... It, like if she was born today, she'd be like Spider Chanel or something. Sure. I think I think I think the name came from like somewhere else. Uh, there's a couple of possible origins for it, but it during this time where she was like 
run, having big fancy fucking cocaine parties, people were like, yeah, they they called her that because of cocaine. Well, have you it ever probably... been to a non-fancy <laughs> cocaine party? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the pits. But right, right. But uh, in in the midst of all these, you know, cocaine parties uh, she was throwing, she kind she ended up getting mixed up in what we might call kind of the broad anti-communist scene of the mm-hmm. 1930s uh, with her connections to aristocracy with uh, she was terrified by a strike wave that uh, hit France in the 1936, which included her shop girls. Um, sure. She was absolutely mortified and terrified that it was all, you know, the Bolsheviks were coming because her because her seamstresses struck to have like a vacation day, uh, which which she refused to give until it was signed, like until there was national legislation to end the strike wave saying, hey, all you businesses, you have to do this. Um, so she was kind of wrapped up in kind of the broader uh, paranoia over Bolshevism and especially yes. Judeo-Bolshevism. Feminist because- icon Coco Chanel against equal pay and vacation days for women. <laughs> That's Feminist <right>. icon! <laughs> um, it's also so like, she's- wow, no one has... <laughs> Very few people have ever actually understood socialism or communism. They just kind of it's oh, it's all yeah, yeah that, it's it's that a whole goes way back. There's there's the other yeah the history of the early 20th century especially is is the history of a a a profound insane fury gripping people over what they're imagining is it's, is happening and truly, you know and fury over what is happening. And it's in, truly in fascinating to look back at political cartoons from literally like a hundred years ago. And still see socialism is the same scare word it is today. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's been no movement. It's truly fascinating. Well, you know, I mean, we, we really can't let those, you know, those grubby-handed hoi polloi anywhere near the levers of power. You know, yes. that's mm-hmm. number one. Now, that's, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta do it the, the honest way. Being yeah, a paramour have- of a rich married man... <laughs> You know, I built I built this radium factory with my with my own bootstraps or whatever. My favorite is that like 1920s cartoon of the skeleton that's labeled socialism doing a dance in the street. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a good time, but it's a good time for all. But uh, to sort, I guess to get closer to the uh, to the spy theme of Mm -hmm. uh, y'all y'all series here. So uh, that's kind of you know we have the little setup there of what Chanel's you know kind of life is like when uh, France falls to the Nazis in 1940. There is a, uh, you know, it's it's a very panic-inducing kind of thing. It's a massive sort of psychic shock to the French people. The country is split between an occupied zone in the north and, quote-unquote, unoccupied free zone in the south, which is host of the kind of French government, uh, as it, such as it is, which was located in the alpine ski resort town of Vichy. So this kind of regime is called Vichy France, which was headed mm-hmm. by... Old-time war hero Marshal Pétain, who from the uh, from the First World War is a kind of neo-nationalist figurehead on all this, but uh, but Coco stays in Paris. That's where her business is. That's where you know culture still is. And really, like you know, I mean, the Germans aren't so bad, right? It's a bunch of handsome soldiers, you know, coming around town, and they, you know, they beat the French as as uh, actually as Miss Chanel was uh, quoted. I believe there was some uh, some friends who quoted her at the time saying that France really got what it deserved. Uh, from the Germans for, you know, for the chaos of the Third Republic, which, you know, I, I mean, uh, not to get into the history of the Third Republic, sorry. No. <laughs> this is about no, Coco but... Chanel. But uh, um, but anyone interested, please uh, go read uh, uh, Robert Paxton's wonderful history of uh, Vichy, France. Uh, it was published actually around the time that some of the skeletons got out of the closet in the early 70s uh, about Miss Chanel. 
It's a great, it's a great book. But um, anyway, so she's actually she had actually met some of these you know handsome or German aristocrats who were in the diplomatic corps there in Paris, including a certain Hans Gunther von Dinklage or Dinklage, I guess probably in the German, whose nickname was Spatz. And was what? she's Spatz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know if he's named after like the things that Scrooge McDuck wears on his yeah. uh, on his duck feet or uh, or what's going on there. But <laughs> so Spatz. Well, he was a good friend of which one was it? Himmler was Himmler. Uh, that's right. Well, the thing about uh, Spatz is that he was a fully paid up agent of the Abwehr, which was mm-hmm. the German intelligence agency. Mm-hmm. So he was he was in the diplomatic corps, as is always the case uh, with every. And sorry to ruin anyone's impressions out there about you know embassies and consulates and joining the State Department to be a good diplomat. Every diplomat everywhere is also a spook. So and it's it's, it's <laughs> and, worth noting it, that uh, I mentioned Coco Chanel like she had uh, all these liaisons with very uh, uh, rich men who who funded her various activities. Mm-hmm. This is not. By any means, the first. The Duke of Westminster was a yeah, good yeah, friend yeah, yeah. of one Adolf Hitler. And uh, there was a guy named Paul E. Beer or something like that who created mm-hmm. a, uh, had a, a weekly publication called like the, 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 it's called The Witness in English. I can't remember what the French word is. Oh, yeah, but it was the big like right-wing newspaper. Right. There was a yeah, lot of neo-nationalist, yeah. anti-Semitic shit in there and... Little Coco was the uh, the model for a lot of the anti-Semitic cartoons where uh, women were, oh, were, were, oh. were featured. <laughs> yeah, and so, so not, um, not not coming out of nowhere where she no really not really like really not, not coming out of nowhere officer. right. So um so she strikes up a uh, a relationship with uh, with Mr. Uh, von Dinklage Spatz here. Uh, he was staying in the Paris Ritz, which is where she had her apartments, uh, her rooms. She actually shared, uh, and the Ritz was really the the hub for all of the collaborationists, because um, she uh, shared a floor. She was her rooms were nearby such known collaborators as uh, Fern Bedeau, and the the wealthy Dubonnet family uh, were also mm. there staying in the Ritz. They were known Nazi sympathizers. On the same floor as uh, Cesar Ritz himself, the founder of the the hotel. But uh, it's mainly through this relationship with Spatz that Chanel got involved in actual, honest-to-God German intelligence work. Um, There are a couple of kind of major... Oh, and I I should say as kind of side note, and I'll I'll come back to it, but in the midst of all this, you know, of course, Coco Chanel's fortune comes from the production of Number 5, which was being produced by a Jewish-owned business with the Wertheimer brothers. Mm. They They see the handwriting on the wall pretty early they actually they actually bug out of france before the invasion of france even happens uh but pierre wertheimer entrust suspicious of what coco is going to try to do <laughs> entrusts the uh, uh la parfume chanel business to his friend and associate a certain felix amio who was a businessman involved in companies that manufactured aircraft and this ends up being pretty canny because felix amio himself had connections with one Hermann Göring, the chief of the Nazi Air Force, the Luftwaffe. Uh, so he would actually have some uh, contacts with Göring about manufacturing airplanes for the Nazis during the uh, the, the occupation here. But uh, but we'll Daniel, come. We'll, we'll come. I, I also want to say this is a rarity in revisionist uh, history, yeah. um, where 
we have someone on the show who can actually pronounce names that are not <laughs> <laughs> super Anglo. Um, uh, when well, we did um, Russian history, it was a shit show. <laughs> oh, that would be... I would sound awful. I, I, I bring with me the experience of um, a couple of years of high school and college German, of which mm. I remember nothing except proper pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, I, can, I can make my way a little bit around French. So I, uh, but but as, as, some, as the owner of a, of a very non-Anglo orthography-friendly last name, I feel like I kind of owe it to everybody to, to, <laughs> yeah. g- to give it a shot, sure. you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... So the so the actual manufacturers of uh, Chanel Number no. Five actually bug out to uh, the USA via Brazil. So Pierre Wertheimer gets set up and actually sends his own secret agent, a private secret agent, through Spain into France to steal the formula for oh, Number no. Five okay. to get it to America. So that he sets up manufacturing Number no. Five in and the if- United States, infuriating Coco Chanel. <laughs> And if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Coco Chanel truly did try to snipe the business, even though she didn't have a majority share. She tried to steal the business out from under them using her Nazi connections. That's right, uh, and especially and using Nazi what were called Aryanization laws. So under yeah. Nazi in Nazi Germany and under areas under Nazi occupation, there was a deliberate dispossession of Jewish people in favor of handing their assets and businesses and, and property over to uh, basically non-Jewish people, Ar- mm-hmm. you know, Aryans, in the, in the twisted and stupid racial schema of uh, Nazi ideology. Um, so uh, that was actually, the, this was very canny of, uh, of Pierre Wertheimer to actually put the business under the control of an Aryan, <laughs> Felix Amiot, because this actually stymied Chanel's attempts to steal... <laughs> Jewish family's business that had made her rich. Um, They had made each other rich, but she felt like she got a a raw deal out of it. Like her cut wasn't big enough. So she was going to, you know, finally show that finally show that uppity Jew. What's what? And her, 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 her role in this business, by the way, was she had a series of uh, popular stores and she lent her name to it. She did basically nothing else. Basically basically nothing other than she, she, she picked a scent out of a lineup and put her name on it so that they could kind of cash in on her uh, th- that name's association with vivacious youth and fashionability. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was not really. I mean, her 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 name had had a lot to do with you know how it sold, to be sure. But yeah, I mean, it's really like she did not. It's not like she was pouring over the Erlenmeyer flasks in the lab, yeah, making sure. this thing, or even like working on the line, or, yeah. or yeah. even managing Accounting, the line. None of it. Yeah. <laughs> none of it. None of it. But she did try to try to uh, seize, have that seized under these Nazi Aryanization laws. But because Felix Amio was not Jewish and had a good working relationship with Goering because he was a bit of a collaborator himself, she got stymied, much to her uh, much to her frustration. But she was not done, of course. Um, you know, trying to leverage uh, uh, Nazi connections or anything like that, or or kind of you know uh, act in accordance with these you know Nazi connections. Because there was a bit of a mysterious trip in 1941 mm-hmm. uh, where she traveled to Spain, to, to Franco's Spain, which, although Franco was a far right wing authoritarian dictator, was staying out of the Second World War. He was not joining in with the Axis or anything like that. He sort of, which you know, makes sense after the 
total devastation on the nation of Spain that he unleashed by launching the Spanish Civil War to right. depose the legitimately elected socialist government of Spain. Um, Which also, was, like, to, the, um, the, the Nazis and the Italians used as basically practice for exactly. the yeah. Second World War. <clears throat> exactly. Um, but uh, so she went on a, uh, a trip with a, a certain Baron Louis de Valfreland, a, a, a uh, I believe, Belgian aristocrat or, you know, some sort of northern northern French extraction, mm. um, which not a lot is known about. But it is known that she did. And he's a known Abwehr asset also. Like this guy was a known Nazi intelligence uh, operative. And sure. uh, and Coco Chanel went with him on a, on a trip to Madrid, which they're not. Uh, apparently, there's that's not well documented. Not a lot of uh, details about that. But like Zach mentioned earlier, she was uh, intimately involved in passing on information to spats. Uh, so, because, you know, she's Coco Chanel, right? She's, you know, she's rubbing elbows and, and hobnobbing with, you know, all the, uh, you know, all the classiest people in Paris and whatnot. And she hears mm-hmm. all kinds of information. She tells, you know, Spatz about it. Spatz sends it on back to literally Heinrich Himmler. Yeah. You know, we're not, <laughs> it's like the architect of the extermination of Ashkenazi Jewish civilization in Europe yeah. uh, was the direct like line from Coco Chanel to Spatz to, to Himmler. And she actually probably, she may have even met Himmler himself at a later trip in 1944 when uh, this was during kind of the, a lot of the Nazis higher up kind of saw the handwriting on the wall, right? After Stalingrad, mm-hmm. sure. you know, the tide was turning in the East. They knew time was short. Yeah. And so a lot of these craven rats were trying to jump ship and right. trying to negotiate, uh, like, you know, basically get diplomatic feelers out to try to let, you know, Churchill and the Allies know they're willing to bump off Hitler and just, like, call it a mulligan and we can all settle down and go back to <laughs> and go back to being the imperial overlords of the third world. Yeah. Oopsie daisy. <laughs> right. We can just call it a, yeah, an oopsie daisy. So, uh... So Spatz and uh, Coco Chanel take a trip to Berlin to meet with senior SS officials. Uh, and, and this was a particularly stomach-turning uh, thing to learn about. So she goes and meets with these senior SS officials in the headquarters of the uh, kind of intelligence service in Berlin, which before the Nazis came to power had been a Jewish nursing home and hospice care center. It had oh. been seized, seized by the SS and was the center of their their intelligence apparatus seeking out Jews to exterminate just really cool stuff. Um, yeah. So they definitely had, they definitely had that meeting and it was there that Himmler, you know, basically Himmler's idea was that we use, they use Chanel's connections, specifically Coco Chanel's connections to Winston Churchill, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're personal friends. They knew each other. So the idea was that they would write a letter uh, that would be passed off to a, another party in Madrid to get to 10 Downing Street so that yeah. Churchill could see it yeah, this, and know this that. This was called uh, Operation Model Hut or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It was very like, oh. They knew that they, they were branding it as their, you know, the fashion lady doing this <laughs> stuff. But yeah. in a... In a uh, and in an unforeseen turn of events, you know, they time all this out. They get to, you know, Madrid in 1944 to, like, pass this letter off to like get it to Winston Churchill you know in time for this plan to go off but Winston Churchill is actually uh, recovering from being almost deathly ill in Tunisia and Morocco at this time he had Mm -hmm. he was returning from the Tehran conference and uh, was on death's door (laughs) so it was late getting back 
to Great Britain and uh, to say and we don't know if he ever saw this letter. I, I don't I don't know if it's been confirmed that he ever actually actually saw it. But that was that was another uh, of, uh, you know, Coco Chanel playing super spy, trying to help some Nazis weasel out of responsibility for what they were doing. Um, but it was interesting, actually, that they of course, you know, if, if you're it's 1944 and you're uh, Nazi leadership who's fed up with Hitler's meth jags destroying any hope you had of like anything um then you were going to be caught up in the famous officers conspiracy to assassinate hitler i don't know if uh, our listeners will probably remember the film valkyrie starring thomas cruise um <laughs> about this please thomas cruise lives in florida <laughs> <laughs> also i'm just like like i know they existed but i'm just imagining the person who's mad at hitler for being on meth and that's that's the thing they're <laughs> mad at Hitler. Well, they were about. they were. I mean, they were mostly mad about how he had completely fucked the war. Yeah. Uh, and and we're like, you you cracked out idiot. Um, it's just like it's impossible to have a conversation with him. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, really, Hitler? Don't you think you could just ease up for a little bit? Um, so of course, famously, that officer's conspiracy yeah, to kill Hitler with a suitcase bomb. Famously on Hitler's tombstone. Uh, is the phrase uh, right? Come on, Hitler! Don't you think you could ease up a little bit? Uh, I believe is yeah his official epitaph. That was right. That's how people want to remember him in their time with him. Um, yeah. So anyway, that that officer's conspiracy does not actually succeed, right? There was a suitcase bomb where one charge went off and injured Hitler, but the second charge didn't go off to finish the to finish the job, mm-hmm. and that meant everyone who was connected with that was basically you know, it was uh, it, it it was just. Uh, the noose was noose was closing in. It was especially closing in for Spatz, because not only was he tied in with that conspiracy, but also it's July 1944. It's been a month since D-Day. Mm-hmm. The Allies are rolling mm-hmm. up France. They are coming. So Dinklage, Spatz here, flees into Germany. He's hiding out in Germany. Uh, this is also around the time that uh, free French guerrillas and communist uh, partisans who had been sabotaging, you know, Nazi occupation stuff uh, throughout the whole war, the La, La Résistance, the Free French parties and communist uh, guerrillas launch a street war in Paris ahead of the arrival of these allied forces. They sort of get the ball rolling on forcing the Germans out with these vicious street battles. And so Chanel, again, seeing handwriting on the wall, flees, because there are already news reports of like, you know, once the, once a town is like liberated, right? It is it is mass kind of people's justice against collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was yeah. Yeah. a lot of public shaming of women who were known to have had relationships with, you know, Nazi soldiers. They would have their heads shaved or even be like branded with a swastika. Um, it was sort bad news. Glorious bastard style. Right. It was it was bad news to be a known collabo. Uh, and and be taken in by the free French or the the yeah that's what they uh, called it on happy endings I think and uh, to be fair <laughs> in fairness this this uh, sort of uh, French purge like had a lot of problems like a lot of these oh, women yeah. were like they did they were involved with Nazis out of desperation for food or right. in some or they, cases they, they, there were women who were punished who were like raped by Nazis right. like it yeah. was a, it was extreme overreaction yeah yeah it was really it was really a, a, a horrible kind of outpouring of the the kind of rage that comes from uh, you know years worth of humiliations sure yeah. uh, being heaped upon people and it's just it's 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 bad news all around so you know rightly Chanel kind of fucks off too <laughs> she fucks off out of Paris she tries to find a hidey hole in uh, in rural France but actually gets scooped up by some free French and gets arrested 
But she's Wait, actually sorry, released. You said rural France, right? Yes, yes. I thought you said Little France for a second. I was like, wait, what the fuck is, is <laughs> yeah, this a theme park? There's La Grande France and La Petite France. It's two regions, you know. <laughs> well, we have a place um, in Colorado called Tiny Town, and that's what I was picturing. <laughs> yeah, but Tiny Town is literally a tiny town yeah. that children can go see. Yeah. That's... It's like one sixteenth the size of a normal city. Oh, man. Um we have one of those in Alabama, except it's uh, it's a, a bizarre uh, giant model of Jerusalem built by uh, <laughs> of some, course it is a Catholic convent. It's very strange. Well, it's very strange because it's it's all very Catholic, which is again strange in Alabama. But we have a few. We're yeah. actually headquarters of the Eternal Word Television Network, the Catholic uh, cable channel. Is uh, actually a, st- a stone's throw, uh, maybe a mile or two, as the crow flies from uh, from where I work. Um, oh, Jesus. Anyway, so that's some fun Alabama knowledge for y'all. Uh, so anyway, kind of, you know, the jig is up, uh, Chanel was captured, but she was released after a short interrogation, probably on the personal intervention of Churchill, uh, via his ambassador to de Gaulle's, you know, new government. Like Charles de Gaulle was the leader of the, what was called the free French Mm -hmm. that were those, that was the French military that did not surrender or, uh, go over to Pétain's Vichy French regime. Uh, so Charles de Gaulle is back in town. He's setting up his new government. Churchill has a you know personal friend as an ambassador to that government. It's pretty likely that he basically whispered a word like, hey, you know, maybe cut Coco some slack. So she, within apparently within hours of her release from the custody of the Free French, she has packed up her stuff and fucked off to Lausanne, Switzerland, mm. where she would remain um, for about 10 years. She would not, like, the the whole, her whole involvement in all this was really hushed up. It was not, she did go back to France in 1949 uh, to testify in some trials, uh, basically some, some trials on collaboration and espionage. But mm-hmm. the the judges didn't really pry into her stuff. It was all kind of swept under the rug, which sort of left her... You know, she sort of stayed bugged out in Switzerland, except for occasional trips to go buy drugs. As <laughs> Zach mentioned earlier, she was, you know, a known burnout. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if, but she did make what was called her, like, triumphant return, right? She was going to reopen her her uh, couturier shop. It was going to be, like, Chanel's uh, big return. And one of the most fascinating angles in all of this is that that big, like, grand reopening of Chanel as a brand, right, was all funded by Pierre Wertheimer, the Jewish businessman who she tried to fuck over using Nazi Aryanization <laughs> laws because Wertheimer knew what, what side his bread was buttered on, right? He's the guy who owns Coco number – he's the guy who owns Chanel number five, yeah? The mm. biggest selling perfume in the world. That's what made his bank – that's what made his fortune – if, you know, if Chanel's, if Coco's reputation were to be tarnished with the things that he knew about her, then, you know, number five might suffer. And that's, hey, that's his piggy bank. Sure. So it's really fascinating. <laughs> that's, they're kind I, of re- I, I've, I, uh, I also learned, uh, read that um, later in her life, it, as part of a, a, a gambit to cover up all this dirt um this schallenberger guy this ss fella who who spent some time in prison she paid for his lodging and medical bills for the remainder of his life 
Yeah, so that he kept quiet. <laughs> that's right. He yeah. did not mention. Yeah, it was. That's right. It was. It was Schoenberger or uh, or whoever he said who was the. That was her contact at that office in Berlin for the 1944 spy trip to Madrid. Um, that was kind of the guy that she was uh, talking with the most. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was basically like, "Here you go, buddy. I'll take care of you the rest of your life. You just keep my name out of your mouth." <laughs> so, which should have been enough, I guess. You know, maybe it was secret enough, but that should have been enough to raise any kind of suspicion. But yeah, so you know, Chanel. Is, uh, the the name remained relatively untarnished until it was the yeah the early seventies when there was going to be this big celebration, but there was enough had kind of a, a, a skeletal toe had peeked out from under the door of the closet, sure. <laughs> and, which kind of put a damper on it. But uh, yeah, it would be another few decades until um, these kind of intelligence documents and records were declassified after the end of the Cold War, right? Um, and you had, cause a number of the, um, I think a number of the French intelligence records had been seized or moved by Nazis into Berlin so that they then came under the control of the red army when they took Berlin and were then transferred to Moscow. So it wasn't until like the seventies or eighties that this archival material actually made its way back to France where historians could take a look at it. And it was really yeah, it was the, the this you know Hal Vaughn's book in 2010, 11 that uh, kind of laid the case out for the for the whole world, and that's the story of Coco Chanel, Nazi spy. Yeah, she went on to uh, grow old and die of old age at age eighty seven. <laughs> that's right. And she she did. She lived a full drug filled. Uh, life full hedonistic. of parties and yeah. and and hedonistic aristocratic lovers. Life. <laughs> hedonistic anti-Semitic life, surrounded by the most depraved people you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daniel, and really thank inspiring, you. and I I would love for my my daughter to uh, read her story someday. Sure, I'm sure you have several <laughs> books about what a feminist icon, Coco Chanel, <laughs> who oppressed her own. What the women who worked for her for money and loved the Nazis, yeah, uh, drug addict and uh, and mostly got her money through you know sleeping with married people. Yep, yep. A true icon. A true, <laughs> a real, a real, uh, a real feather in the cap for women everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, thank you. <laughs> well, you're very welcome, guys. Yeah. Zach, whenever you're ready with the alternate history. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. So Daniel had uh, okay? some accurate and some inaccurate information <laughs> in his story. Mm. Uh, he was correct. I mean, Coco Chanel. She was born in 1883. Um, she was not born Coco. Mm -hmm. uh, she she was <laughs> she was born Smack. Or wait, what's yeah. other what's other Angel <laughs> Dust? There we go. Well, she was born Esco. 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 Um, okay. Um, but uh, when she was 12 years old, um, like in Daniel's story, like in real life, her mother died when she was 12. Uh, the circumstances are different. Uh, what actually happened was um, a bunch of Antifa members threw her off a balcony. So that's how Coco Chanel actually lost her, her mother. Uh, Antifa did it. And um, she knew that the only way to progress in this life after that horrifying loss was to be a real girl boss. And mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so she started interning for uh, a fashion designer 
who was sociopathic and demanding. Uh, she was a fashionista. You could think, uh, you know, sort of a Meryl Streep and the Devil Wears Prada kind sure. of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe Emma Thompson could play the part. Um, and she had a an understanding asshole, uh, an understanding associate, uh, uh, sort of in the Stanley Tucci or Mark Strong mold, who sure. uh, mm-hmm. kind of guided her. Hey, I, I love anything in a Stanley Tucci mold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I watched all of Stanley Tucci tours Italy because uh, how could you not? <laughs> um, so she eventually develops her own sort of fashion identity, uh, grows to loathe her mentor and uh, adopts the name Coco for cold cock. Uh, but in this case, <laughs> um, it's not like hitting someone with a gun. It means that she's cold and she's also a cock, like a bad person. Um, is is that a, is that a term for a, a bad person? Uh, yeah, I think you could call a bad person a cock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we'll we'll cover this on on cock talk. Our our, our other podcast yeah, no, that we do. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm click and clack. It's fucking. Cock talk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the Boston accent right now. Inevitably, she finds out her mentor. Um, uh, who is a George Soros type hired the Antifa mob who killed her mom. Um, ah, yeah. Of course, obviously they don't do anything for free. They do it because wealthy Jewish people pay for it. Um, exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, she, she even had a number of uh, uh, Antifa feeble, feeble minded uh people that she held in her home mm. um yeah to do her bidding whenever she wanted she could pay them a little bit fake a protest here whatever mm-hmm. uh you know all that kind of stuff um so eventually she rebels against her heartless mentor and uh and and manages to defeat her um but in a weird twist where I guess Disney wants us to support a character who's clearly a heartless sociopath. Uh, she decides to <laughs> literally support the Nazis after that. Um, she also, she notices that tattoos are popular among people who op- oppose fascists, AKA Antifa and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, decides maybe making a coat out of, you know, cool Antifa tattoos would be uh, pretty cool for fashion. So I'd say uh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two of her friends like have fifteen Antifa pups, and uh, she managed to <laughs> yeah, find the, another. Yeah, that, that's that's what <laughs> that's the term. Yeah, and she managed to find another. <laughs> so parents, check your kid's phone if they're texting about. Sure. Their... Hey, I, w- I, w- I would say that you know, of course, um, Dalmatia is a region of the former Yugoslavia, which mm-hmm. was, of course, uh, in the post-war, uh, ruled by uh, Tito, who was a famous anti-fascist guerrilla. So sure, they all come really? from this region. They yeah, all come from that region. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. 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 I don't think it needs to be said. Uh, we all know <laughs> they come from Dalmatia. Uh, she finds another 85 uh, Antifa Dalmatia strays that could potentially be <laughs> oh, used cool. for this coat. Did <laughs> you just 15. find 85 of 
Uh, sure. After the 15 that her friends own, she finds another 84. You know, you need some to make a coat. Um, <laughs> and she and her accomplices, the Duke of uh, Wellington and Hans Gunther von Dinklage, um, Antifa nap, the unsuspecting tattooed face. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, they hold them hostage for several days in a well where they are, you know, occasionally given lotion to put on the skin from a bat. <laughs> um, of course. So eventually, obviously, 99 kidnapped Antifa. It's going to hit the news. Uh, and the response is muted because most people assume that Antifa probably murdered John Benet Ramsey. Um, in spite of a lack of evidence to verify this, it's just assumed that if there's a crime, they probably did do that. Sure. Yeah, it's only fair. Yeah. Um, so, she does actually manage to make her coat out of human skin. Uh, a fitting metaphor for her actual collaboration with the most important <laughs> people who ever lived. Um, and she is heavily, heavily rewarded for doing so uh, to this very day. Uh, she gets fawning feminist icon children's books next to Harriet Tubman or suffragettes or political groundbreakers, um, you know, like uh, uh, Sonia Sotomayor or... Um, I mean, she's really, she's up there with Rosa Parks, I would say. Rosa you Parks. Know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she yeah. does get this treatment, people. I, I, I want to stress this. So, it's, it's real weird. Yeah. I, yeah. So I work, uh, I work in a library. That's my, that's my day job when I'm not talking about celebrity dicks. And, um, but, uh, Though hit so, that Patreon, we could turn that, <laughs> turn that into a career. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of, a lot, a lot of kids book pass through my hands and I kind of, you know, mostly I'm just, you know, check them in whatever, but it does sort of give me like, yeah, okay, what's, what's out there being published and all that kind of stuff. And there is a lot of material which is directed at, and I think it comes from a good place of, you know, directed toward young girls to present stories of women who challenged oppressive structures who made great achievements that women were not thought capable of doing. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of, I think good reasons behind this kind of material and especially this kind of material for kids. Yeah. Um, but Coco Chanel is always in there and I don't know why (laughs) it's, I mean, it's really just, she's a recognizable name. And I know that, I know it really was like a kind of, you know, she was kind of a breakthrough in the sense of like the sort of couture, you know, that it was very, even though it was, of course, a very feminine-oriented industry, it was still very, you know, male-controlled. And so I can see that that angle in there, but, but man, even in the most charitable reading of her life, I get the sense that she's thrown in there because fashion, she's famous because of fashion, and fashion is a girly thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quote unquote I, I, unquote girly thing. Even before right? this happened, she was pretty fucking openly anti-Semitic. Even before yeah. we knew about the Nazi spying, and there was and even a lot before of we knew about the, the drugs, and it doesn't even, seem great. Yeah, even before we knew about the human skin coat, which is what actually happened. But yeah, uh, uh, let me finish, uh, if I may finish. Obviously, <laughs> uh, she's uh, she's obviously put up in great feminist book series among, you know, uh, Rosa Parks and. Shirley Chisholm and, and, and Sophie Scholl and, uh, you know, Harriet Tubman, people like that, um, uh, with uh, her classic, uh, classic uh, children's feminist book, Coco, 
and her coat made out of the skin of humans she actively <laughs> helped to murder. Uh, that's the name of her children's book about what a feminist icon she is. So that's the true story of Coco Chanel. Fascinating. Fascinating, Zach. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. It's sort of a riff on Joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat but like, <laughs> this one that's right yeah you know I, w- I started picking up on some certain parallels there and it's really um mm-hmm. yeah I'd, so there's definitely joseph and the technicolor dream coat uh I, t- I detected a hint of mr holland's opus really sure uh yeah. there was also in her origin story um they mm-hmm. included a gay character but only <laughs> to the degree that they could cut that gay character for the chinese release Exactly, so. exactly. I mean, really, it was really broke a lot of ground by being the 26th first gay character in a Disney yeah. movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was really cool. <laughs> I, I assume this is Cruella. <laughs> Cruella. Sorry. Yeah, Cruella. I mean, <laughs> when I talked about uh, how she stole 99 Antifa members to make a coat out of their skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, like... that was indeed about Cruella DeVille. <laughs> so wait, in like in Cruella, is she at like ninety nine Dalmatians? Is like oh, the theory no. that she's working up to? This is partially a critique of that movie where she doesn't hate dogs and doesn't use fur. It's just a different character. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So, in the same way that Coco Chanel has been rewritten to be a different yeah. character, yeah. Uh, so has Cruella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, Disney. Okay. There's a meta aspect to this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. I was like talking about the movie itself. Hmm. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, sorry. I thought I heard, um, I thought I heard Jen calling me. Um, So uh, listeners, before we move on, um, I just want to remind you of all the places you can get in touch with us. uh, Revisionistpodcast.com. Um, revisionists, sorry, plural. I kind of steamrolled right over that. Um, we also have a Patreon if you are inclined to send us podcasts and money for just the most diapers. Hey, we're um, gonna actually start releasing episodes again, so yeah, <laughs> it's it's very weird that, like, so like over the course of uh, leave, I queued up like 10 or so like favorite episodes to release um and they've like performed great <laughs> i don't know if it's just cause, like people are searching for those topics and now um, we're going to be coming back to this format and not remember how to fucking do it yeah, not, <laughs> at <all. everybody. laughs> not at Which, all just been right off the bat months. coming out with you know celebrity dicks and everyone just turns it off you know yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think John Hamm's dick is a very popular topic. Um, Pretty compelling. I mean, we mentioned Stanley Tucci, but we did not get into, uh, you know, his... probably got a pretty good one, tour of Italy. His hog's probably doing good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a big night, is what it is. Um, God damn it. We also, just side note, Spotify, like their podcast dashboard does like a demographic breakdown and I don't know if this is accurate, but for some reason our largest audience share on Spotify is teen girls. 
Sure. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, which, all in favor, like, welcome. I'm glad you, hey. I'm glad you like the show. Um, I think it's I our... hope you like our new theme song by Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. <laughs> 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 There's got to be something there. Um, maybe it's our not booking known sexual predators <laughs> policy <laughs> that makes it more welcoming for the people. The problem is the known part because yeah. every once in a oh, while. That's right. I, fellas, I'd just like to say thank you so much for helping clear my name by booking <laughs> me on the show today. Yeah. Great. We're good. Yeah. I'm going to say that statement. Someone's going to use it as like a fucking social this good, media. It's like, like comes time to comb through. Fine. And I want to say this is our first uh, majority dad podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. And most that... we've had one parent on any given episode of the show before. Yeah. yeah. Now we're majority. This is majority dad. I'm, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm representing and... that bachelor. <laughs> yeah, and, and people say there's a birth rate crisis. Look at this. I mean, there's yeah. a majority dad podcast out there yeah. of uh, of our one and only ever dear God child. <laughs> I, um, it's it's fun. Um, also, so, so Patreon, social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We're on Facebook. Theoretically, I have not touched Facebook in a very long time. As um, you shouldn't. Mark Zuckerberg yeah. is a bad person. And... Well, let me let me say this. We are on Facebook. We're not doing shit on that Facebook, so yeah, I mean, we're there. Um, I met I met my partner on Facebook, so I'm grateful for that. But also, it's a bad it's a bad yeah. it's a bad time. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess that brings us to. Um, plugs daniel uh what would you yeah. what do you want to tell our listeners about sure well um if you enjoyed all of the hog talk on today's episode <laughs> uh no nah, we don't get too much into it I, I am the co-host of a podcast called the cannon ball that's spelled a c-a-n-o-n uh ball it, which is a podcast project with uh, myself an interested layman and an actual uh literature professor to uh read nice. through Harold Bloom's list of the Western canon, uh, and uh, just see you know, see if it's any good. Um, <laughs> along, along the way, along the way, we kind of we we grapple with uh, with Harold Bloom's own ideas, the idea of canons themselves, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and discuss some of the most famous uh, works of literature in the in the Western world that uh, a dumb dumb like me finally got around to reading. So I, hey, if you're an idiot out there, rest assured you can read Daniel- the great books. Let me ask you this. Uh, Yo. uh, what are you what is your favorite and least favorite that you've covered yeah. so far? I want to know this. Oh, podcast. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So my favorite, um, there have been so many good ones, but I think the one that just blew me away the most and that has really stayed with me the most is Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It it looks really huge and intimidating because it is like a big, massive like tome if it's you know published in you know in one volume. But uh it's very episodic and very funny and very clever and weird every kind of like postmodern trick of narrative that you think emerged out of the 20th century kind of modernism and postmodernism scene don quixote is doing that at the dawn of novels being a thing it's yeah. really incredible it is very it's a you fascinating might say documents. it's even a little quixotic it a is word like that I learned it, came from Don Quixote at some point. It's right. But it's, and you, and you have to pronounce it, is, it incorrectly. Though, 
at all. No, no, it, it, it is. It's, uh, it, it does come from Don Quixote, but you also have to pronounce it incorrectly uh, yeah. to say it. <laughs> so, true. you know, so I'm torn in using it uh, because yeah. of that. But no, well, it's also like, my... I mean, I don't, I don't mean this to say like there's not stuff to analyze in it because there definitely is, but it's like a surprisingly light book mm-hmm. for like how big and old it yeah. is. And, so, and really for, for anyone kind of uh, interested in uh, Imperial Spain or that kind of time period, um, it's a really fascinating kind of window into the cultural preoccupations and, and kind of archetypes at work at the time. My least favorite that I've read would have mm-hmm. to be Rasselas, A Prince of Abyssinia by Samuel Johnson. It is, of course, famous, um, and it is dull as dishwater, and I did not care for it. And uh, if my word to Samuel Johnson is, stick to writing the dictionary. Because uh, that was actually the best. We read a few selections for Samuel Johnson, uh, Rasselas, and a few of his essays. He was one of the first bloggers, Samuel Johnson. He was, write- he was literally <laughs> writing, like, op-eds three times a week to, like, keep the, keep the kettle on. So he, like, published these pamphlets, and it's hilarious. Um, so he's right about just any goddamn thing he was, you know, thinking about. But he also famously completed the, what's considered the first comprehensive English language dictionary that he was he was commissioned. Mm-hmm. It's it took up a huge chunk of his life. He was obsessed and, and hated it, you know, for a while. But if you actually read the entries, they're, they're like marvelous. any blog, Each, like any blog, yeah. But his but Samuel Johnson's dictionary is really fascinating, and you can take basically any page and like read through how he like takes a word in English and separates out its different meanings, explains those meanings with like selections from, from, you know, English literature that it had appeared in and stuff. It's a really fascinating window into the beginnings of treating English, treating, giving English the same kind of respect as a systematized language system that Latin would get. Right. Sure. But uh, using it on English. So that's really cool. But, but also don't read Rasselas. Um, It sucks. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but you can check out uh, you can uh, check out more amazing thoughts like these at the Cannonball Podcast, uh, available wherever uh, podcasts are sold. Sounds great. Uh, I uh, if you want to hear more from me, uh, uh, I have a separate podcast called The Movie Trap, uh, a revival of a podcast I did literally ten years ago and then didn't do for nine years, um, but the pandemic makes boredom of us all uh and we recreated this podcast uh right now uh we're doing a series on ubiquitous movies that uh the hosts have never gotten around to seeing uh the next series is about um failed franchise starters so nice we're covering the dark universe mummy attempted uh attempted launch uh, yeah. most recently we recorded an episode about Howard the Duck, uh, the first Marvel movie. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, technically accurate. So yeah. Uh, that's where we're at with that. Uh, so yeah. Uh, feel free to tune in, uh, at the movie trap if you like this. Yeah. Um, and listeners, as for me, um, even if stand-up comedy was really a thing that was happening much anymore, uh, I haven't been doing it because other things. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know what? Actually, um, in addition to, again, uh, the GoFundMe for Danny Ramos, yeah, um, I important. want to mention um, a group that 
um, you know, we had a, a lot of close friends during um, during everything that was happening with our daughter, uh, who offered to help, and we were very fortunate to be in a pretty like secure position where we didn't actually need much. Um, but that led us to um, a group called We Cycle, W E E Cycle, which gets uh, supplies like diapers and wipes and formula to uh, families experiencing homelessness and who are just uh, not in a secure position. Uh, so I would like I, to mention them. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, this particular week, if you want to support us, feel free to write us a review on uh, Apple, like, uh, 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 you know, Apple pod, like, uh, on the Apple page, mm-hmm. five stars. You can write whatever you want. You can write whatever bullshit you want. Don't don't pay for our Patreon this week. Give it to Danny Ramos. Give it to give it to give it to the charity Brian just mentioned. Like, you know, we're fine. Yeah. So give it to somebody who really needs it uh, this particular week. I would say. Totally. And and maybe give yeah. us a five star review if you want this podcast to have more listeners. Yeah. If you do give us Written a review, review, better. Yes. <laughs> if you do give us a review in the next couple of weeks before our episode, we will come back to. We'll, we'll treat that as an IOU, basically. So we yeah. will come back. Uh, we'll be coming around the bend. Um, but that brings us to uh, the judgment phase. Um, the phase of the show I've grown increasingly uncomfortable with since the <laughs> conspiracy-fueled attempted insurrection um, of the United States. Who knew um, when we started this podcast when... Barack Obama was still president, that uh, alternate versions of history would be, would be so <laughs> toxically deadly to I the know. entire democracy of our country. I know. I mean, look, listeners, here's the thing. Oh, the, the, the real history happened. Don't Please don't listen to us. <laughs> please don't base an entire movement on us um, or anything we have to say. Um, but... I think uh this is this is this is the other thing that makes me uncomfortable about judgment is that it's hard sometimes. <laughs> and I don't like hard things. Um other, other That's that's than, also anyway. going on uh, on Cock Talk. Yeah, that's right that's on <laughs> that's on that's on the uh after hours. Um <laughs> So, you know, I think Daniel's history was um well researched uh, and had a lot of life and color. For sure, I uh, thought it was a really strong one. Yeah, yeah. In addition to the Sometimes aforementioned show up correct, on show pr- and they do the bare minimum. And I thought Daniel did a pretty good job. Yes, hey, indeed. All right. Well, thank you, fellas. So I think, um, despite Zach's well put together uh, alternate history, which I found delightful, bouncing between uh, Cruella, uh, which I <laughs> this is the way only way I'm going to say it now. And, as as and, uh, uh, as someone Silence who makes a, yeah, that's the um, I'm Mister Pronunciation, and I say it's pronounced Korea, <laughs> which is of course also a dish made with rice, seafood, uh, sausage <laughs> cooked in a very large flat pan. It's also the name mm-hmm. of the pan. Sure. Um, uh, I'm going to cast my vote for the actual history uh, wow. this time, but listeners, uh, voting is as you hear this now open. Uh, to Patreon subscribers, and be sure to check out our Instagram story uh, 
the Wednesday, um, not immediately following this release, but uh, the Wednesday after that, <laughs> the 16th, <laughs> um, I guess, is the, what we call it, um, for the final round of voting on that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being our first guest after uh, quite a long hiatus uh, with Brian's uh, beautiful newborn baby. Yeah, well, hey, I'm uh, I'm very happy to uh, to uh, you know knock the rust off and take you couple fellers for a ride to uh, to get you back in business. <laughs> it was really great though. Thank, and thanks that for brings inviting us me on, guys. Talk. Hi, how are we? Right, doing? and now we're back. <laughs> the next, well, I really appreciate uh, the it. Next Today's three guest. hours of this podcast are going to be us <laughs> talking about uh, different male celebrities' cocks and which one we like up. the best. F. Murray Abraham. Ooh, <laughs> John Voight. John Voight is number two. <laughs> oh, that's no. going to be a rough one. <laughs> oh, Ooh, followed, followed right up by James Woods. Not happy about Ooh, that. that Ooh. But I will, course, I will uh, say, former well, I... Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara. Colin the Big Powell Mac. on the list. Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> but th- thank you very much for having me on, guys. This was a, a lot of fun. It was really cool to uh, to talk um, a very strange phenomenon uh, with you yeah. fellers. And uh, yeah, I, I hey, good luck and Godspeed keeping the, keeping the show going after y'all's big return. Thank well, you. Uh, yeah, thank think, you for joining us. Too. I think that leaves us just with uh, our classic sign off. Brian, do you even remember what it is? <laughs> I um mm, have a have a good time. Have a Good time. Have a there good we... time. <laughs> also the sign off to Cock Talk. Okay. <laughs> there we go. June 5th, 1817. Celebrations mark the first Great Lakes steamer. And boy, you do not want to look that one up. Okay, remember what I said about hospital? This one, this one literally just says, June 5th, 1975, the Suez Canal reopens. Remember boat? <laughs> June 5th, 1956, Elvis Presley debuts his new single, Hound Dog, on the Milton Berle show. Audiences are scandalized by his suggestive hip swaying, but stay silent on the subject of Milton Berle's legendarily big dick. <laughs>